And that was Solomon. So Solomon's son here is becoming king. And Solomon's son's name is Rehoboam. And we're going to learn a little bit about him and a, a scenario he was in about getting, getting advice. We'll learn some positives and negatives here. <clears throat> and so notice here, 1 Kings chapter 12. It says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam, again, this is a different guy, and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father, and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter. And we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and Wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, and they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men and which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. <clears throat> and he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me? Saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus thou shalt speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little fingers shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now whereas my father did lade you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Let's keep reading, see what happens here. <clears throat> so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day. And the king, as the king had appointed, saying, Come unto me, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him. And spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which, he, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shilonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent, this is, watch this, then King Rehoboam sent 
Adoram, who was over the tribute, he's a tax guy, collecting taxes. And all Israel stoned him with stones, that he died. Therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot and to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. Um, in our church, brother, our brother Kevin, who's a member of our church, uh, he has the privilege of being a consultant for businesses sometimes. He has um, part of one of his businesses to be a consultant, so he has guys that call him and ask him about kind of business scenarios, and, and he helps advise them and consult. He also has the privilege of doing that with some students at Grand Canyon University in their innovation center. Um, as a pastor, we have our deacons, and uh, really our deacons make up with one of the other guys, a stewardship team, and we consult together about stuff for our church. And we, get, we share advice back and forth. Presidents, governors have, what are they called? Advisors. They have advisors and counselors um, that they huddle with and they... They can, you know, talk over and hash out things with. And they say, hey, what do you think about this situation I have? And they're wise to do that, don't you think? Yeah. Now, let's talk about it. We're not, I'm, you know, I'm not a president. You're not a president. We're not governors. Most of us are kind of common folk here. Don't we still need to get advice in life, young or old? Did you know that even Solomon, there's a proverb, or it's Ecclesiastes, where Solomon, I'm going to paraphrase it, it's Ecclesiastes 4.13, where basically Solomon says, you know, it's a horrible thing to see an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. It's better to have a young, wise child than an old and foolish king. He's experienced, he's got power, but you can't teach him anything. Solomon even puts a premium on, if you're older, you still need advice. Your younger certainly need advice. We all have blind spots, don't we? My dad had a really nice truck. Um, I don't. I think I've told somebody. He had a 1987 S10 Blazer, and he customized it in 1980. I mean, after two months of owning it, he bought it brand new from Tony Curry dealership. I think it was. It used to be, or maybe it was Brown and Brown. It used to be in Mesa. And after two months, he was radically changing this brand new vehicle. He took the back windows out. He paneled it. He was welding panels on the side. He teared, it's called teardropping the side window, the side windows. He did all kinds, I mean, like, well, a drastic thing to a brand new vehicle. And it became, um, it became a, you know, custom vehicle. It was a, was a show car. And um, I don't even know why I'm telling this. Why am I saying this example? The blind spots. Thank you, my wife. I was like, man, that was a cool one. What was that about? She remembers it because she remembers me talking about this. So, so you have this. So you have this. You have this truck, and it's like a. It's like a delivery truck. You, you all seen delivery trucks? It's like windows here and windshield, and then maybe a back win, window at the very back. My dad's truck was like that. I was like, it was a gigantic. It was just a blind spot. You're driving. You really depended on your mirrors, and you depend on your rear view mirrors. So. We all have blind spots, don't we? Some of them are big, some of them are small. We have this little uh, Toyota Yaris 
And you're like, oh, what a cute little car. Look at that thing. You know, it's four doors. It's got all these windows. Man, you're in that thing. I'm like, man, there's still blind spots in this little thing. I can almost see better in my in the big church van, you know. But every we all have blind spots. We all need advice. Give me some feedback here. What kind of advice do we need? In what areas and what examples? How, how do we need advice? Like, in, in under what scenarios? Career. career. Yeah, career advice. Yeah? It's good to have somebody kind of give you some feedback about your gifts. Or when you're in the career, you get advice on managing that particular career. What else might, might we need advice on? John? That's right. You buy something. Sometimes you look for the advice online, how many, what's the pros and cons, the criticisms of this product. Or It's great when you can talk to somebody in person that's already dealt with a certain product. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Absolutely. Relationships. Need advice on that. Definitely. That's kind of where this is going to narrow here a little bit. What else might we need advice on? Finances. Yep. Yep. That's right. So we need advice. We're people who need to be advised. Okay. So here's a passage here where let's just walk through this and let's just put, okay, now let's shift our minds back to the text. Let's imagine this scenario. <laughs> Solomon, we only know one name. I don't know if he had other sons. He may have had other sons. If he did, we don't know their name. This is the one name of the one particular son we know about, Rehoboam. And he wasn't all that great. So here's Rehoboam. He's following. He's uh, the next in line as king for this nation. And God's going to keep a promise of that through the years of, of a son of David on the throne for Judah. Rehoboam's a new king. His dad died. And now they're going to inaugurate him or they anoint him. They come together and all Israel comes together, the Bible says, to, to make him king. They gather at this place called uh, Shechem, or Shechem it's sometimes pronounced. That had been a historical rallying place for Joseph or for, uh, uh, for Abraham and Jacob and Moses a few times and Joshua where they'd rally there. So everybody's coming. It's a big gathering, kind of the big inauguration. Everybody's coming together. And when they're coming together, there's another character in the story, Jeroboam. Jeroboam, if you rewind in, in the text a little bit, was a guy, a unique guy. He doesn't turn out to be a good thing later on. He was a guy who became a thorn in the side of Solomon, the king. And it was actually designed of God, because Solomon, toward the end of his life, was, did not do good. He, he, he forgot the Lord. He, he, he kowtowed to his pagan wives that wanted these wicked type of worship and false gods, and he just kind of kowtowed to that. And uh, so God says, I'm going to send you an enemy. He sent adversaries to agitate Solomon. And one of them was a guy from within, Jeroboam. Jeroboam was a, seemed to be a very talented type of a guy. He seemed to be kind of charismatic. His name means... Um, uh, the, his name actually means contend for the people. He seems to be kind of like, the way I think of it in an American mindset is kind of like one of these labor guys. Like, we want labor reform. Kind of, He really does. It kind of has that little bit of that flavor. Like, this isn't right, and this isn't right, and you're overworking us, and we want somebody. He kind of had that type of thing where he had a following, he had some charisma, but Solomon wanted, probably did not like him. And so he hid down Jeroboam, was hiding in Egypt for a while. 
and found some favor down there. And so when Solomon dies, here you have Rehoboam, which we're going to learn about. All right, inauguration day for Rehoboam. All Israel gathered together. So all the country, all the tribes come together. And Rehoboam, or Jeroboam, comes up with them too. He's one of the guys, kind of, a, kind, of one, kind of like an elephant in the room type of thing. There's Jeroboam there too. Look at that guy. And he kind of seems to be a spokesman for the rest of the, of the nation at this point. But he's not their king. This is their king. He had a prophecy on him that he was going to be a king of ten of the tribes. But he doesn't say anything about it. So here it is. Rehoboam's going to get anointed and everything. He's going to be anointed king. And so here Jeroboam and the nation, they have this collective um, uh, concern. And they appeal to the king. Hey, king, you're a brand new king. You got a, uh, we got a new leader, new administration. We got a, we just, we, we got a request here. Can you please make the yoke on us lighter than your father? Can you just ease up on us a little bit? Now, what that probably meant, because I tried to dig to figure out what did they mean specifically. It probably meant less taxes, because though it was a very prosperous country with Solomon, Solomon was taxing them a lot. It probably meant less taxes and less uh, uh, forced labor. There, were an, there was an element, there was a certain element in that society where Solomon could say, you know what, I want them, my baker. I want that. I want that person standing in my court. I want a hundred of that tribe. They're going to serve me over here. I want, I want a thousand of the Ephraimites to be in my, I mean, he could call it like that. That's what he did. Now, the thing is, now this, watch this. You're like, man, what a dictator. The thing is, Solomon could do it. People were like, okay, okay, okay. They put up. He was wise. He had an obvious hand of God on him. He was a picture of Jesus. Now, he failed that picture. Nobody's a perfect picture because the end of his life, but that's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is going to call the shots. He's the wisest, the wealthiest, and he, what he says will go when he comes in his kingdom, and it will be very glorious beyond Solomon. But Solomon was like, I want this, I want that, and he called the shots, boom, 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 boom. And, and they, they were wealthy. They, everybody was joy and wealth, but there was, some, there was an element of burden still in some people. And so here they have the new king. It's not Solomon, it's Solomon's son. And all the people said, hey, can you just lighten up on us a little bit? You know, I don't think, my detection of reading this text, I, I don't detect any bad thing in that question. Now, the whole scene is of God. God is allowing Rehoboam's character to just play out, and it's going to reveal something uh, that was in God's plan to, to let, there was going to be a split, and it goes, there's explanation goes back a little bit. But let's just learn here how Rehoboam handles this. Hey, can you lighten up on us a little bit? Rehoboam says, well, uh, why don't you come back in three days, and I'll give you an answer. Come back in three days. And so they go away. And kids, help me out. Did you pay attention to what we read? Rehoboam does two things. What's the first thing and what's the second thing? First, he does what? Asks the older men, not just, yeah, okay, older people. So let's specify who it was. He asks the older, well, what does the text say? He asks the old men, not just any old men, that stood before Solomon, his father. They were particular men. While he lived, he said he asked the guys in particular, the guys, okay, who are the guys that, that knew my dad, that were in his court, that watched my dad from beginning to end, and just they know the whole deal. They know the previous administration. Hey guys, he gathered those older men together and said, Hey, listen, this is what the people asked me. 
Um, they said, make it lighter. What do you think I should do? And they said, what you should do is you should, you should lighten up. Lighten up on them. Be a servant to the people. Serve them. And they're going to love you. That's interesting. We're going to come back to that advice. There's, there, they didn't, there's reason they said that. He was handled differently than Solomon. And there's a reason for that. So he goes, okay, right when he hears their advice, it, the Bible says before he heard other advice, he rejected it. He hadn't even got the other advice yet. He was going. He knew where he was going, though. There was all his buddies, all the guys he grew up with and graduated with and did dumb stuff with all of his life, joyriding in their chariots and, you know, doing, hey, homies, come on over here. Guys, guys, what do you think I should say? You heard all those people. They said, lighten up on us like your dad was tough, man. What do you think I should do? You know what they said? You tell them, those people that said lighten up on us, you tell them my pinky's going to be fatter. My pinky is fatter than my, my dad's waist. That's a way of saying, I'm King Kong. My dad just a, was just a king. I'm going to be King Kong. And you tell those people that you're going to really put the yoke on them heavier. You lay it to them. Say, I'm going to be a tough one, man. You're going to have a, you're going to have a hard one. And you tell those people, oh, you're, my, my father whipped you guys with, or chastised you with some whips. I'm going to chastise you with scorpions. In other words, these guys are like, you know, be a big shot. You tell them. And that's the advice of his, of his homies, of all of his buddies he grew up with. That's what you tell them. And he's like, yeah. So the next the three days later, they come together, and all the people gather together. They're all there. They're all listening. Sincere question. They're going to get an answer, and Jeroboam's kind of like the sp spokesman, the kind of the representative of them. And he says, listen, people, my father made things, my father put a low yoke on you. I'm going to make it heavier. My father uh, had a, uh, my, my little pinky's going to be fatter than my father's waist. My father chastised you with whips. I'll chastise you with scorpions. I'm going to really sting you. And, and then the whole, the reaction of the country was, what use are you? Every, and they all said, everybody go back to your tents. This guy's a loser is what they're kind of saying. Everybody back to their tents. And then what happens is, what happens is what God prophesied would happen. You're going to have ten, you're going to have ten tribes go distinctly to what we would call Israel. The one tribe of Judah stayed with Rehoboam, even though he was not good king. He stayed with him, and the history was forever for the next 400 years, severely different. It was a split kingdom. It was a split country. Now, it just so happened as history went on, they tended to have more good kings in Judah. This is where Josiah came from, Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat. Some, there was a sprinkled with good kings, the history of that one tribe of Judah. Israel never really had a good king afterwards, the ten tribes. Israel, the history of Israel is not over. God has a future for him still. But here's the deal. Jeroboam did that, or Rehoboam did that, and it, it split the country. And then he, he just, you can tell he's not very smart because look what he does. Oh, the country's split. They don't like me. Well, you know what? We do need to do tax season. We need to collect some taxes. Let's send out our, um, let's send out verse 18. Let's send out Adoram, who was over the tribute. Let's go ahead and send them out. We still need to collect some taxes. I know they don't like me and everything. Yeah, Adoram, go get some tax. We got some money coming. 
They send out a tax guy to a people of the country that doesn't even like them in the first place. And they're like, what's the tax guy doing here? They killed him. I mean, it just shows on that, that added comment shows this guy is not very intelligent. And um, it wasn't good. And so Israel rebelled into that day. There's more to the story. It goes on. And it doesn't mean that Jeroboam, who's this other character, it doesn't mean he had a righteous quality to him. God had made a deal with that guy too. And um, it didn't go well. But here's what we want to do. Everybody needs advice. So what can we learn about this story that pertains to advice? There's five lessons I want to give you about advice. Advice about getting advice. Here we go. Number one. Number one we see in this, in this text, in this story, advice is especially crucial when dealing with people. Advice, this is the story. The story revolves around dealing with people. Advice is especially necessary when dealing with people. I say that because, look, you know, sometime this week, you might have to open up an owner's manual to something to finally figure out the setting on that DVD player. I never did set the timer on that or whatever. We, we open up our owner's manuals. We look into different things that pertain to our, our appliances and our devices and our gadgets and we get advice or we ask somebody, we talked about a purchase, ask somebody about a purchase. Those are good. Those are fine. And those sometimes, if you don't get advice, can be consequential and expensive. But listen, getting advice when dealing with difficulty with people is, is much more consequential. All the New Testament commands, I shouldn't say, I'm trying to say this clearly. So many of the New Testament commands deal with people. Hey, interacting with people. Sometimes it's easier to deal with my laptop than it is another person. But what really matters is how I'm dealing with the other person. So advice is especially crucial when dealing with people. They are our most challenging gadgets. Right? My little kids have been my most challenging gadgets, but most rewarding too. They love them. What, what kind of people do we have to deal with? What kind of people that we have to deal with that every now and then you have to get advice about? A boss, a subordinate. Sometimes you deal with difficult people or people that you want to be careful with and you need some advice. Maybe a customer. If you're running a, a business or in a business. What else? What other kind of people? Talk back to me a little bit. What kind of people that you might imagine yourself needing advice in regards to? Not that you're getting the advice from them, but you're like you're dealing with person A, and you're like, I got a sensitive issue here, or I have an issue where they're depending on me for this, and I don't know what to do. And so what types of people do we need advice in regards to? Friends. friends. Yeah. We need advice on friends, about friends. Yeah. What else? Parents, yeah. Give me advice on dealing with my parent. And the parents get advice on dealing with their kids. That's really needed. What else? Josh. A spouse. Yeah, that's right. Advice on, you know, I'm having difficulty with my spouse, my wife. I'm having difficulty. And you can confide in another brother or, or a counselor or a pastor or a teacher. That helps. Yes. School, yeah, schooling, yeah. Let me go to some, I'm going to just do a little side here. All you kids, listen to that. Okay, so a little side about being married. Everybody listen up. 
Um, so here's good advice about a future spouse. Here's some good advice. If you're going to marry somebody, you need some advice. So here's the advice. I'll just give it to you real quick. Marry somebody that's saved. God says to be yoked with somebody that it's an equal yoke. That means a saved person. Get somebody that's, secondly, committed to Jesus. That is, they show they're saved, too. In other words, whatever they, happen, whatever they are doing in church, it looks like it's still affecting what they're doing outside of church. Saved, committed. Uh, for girls especially, the third thing is make sure you're getting, if you get married, marry a guy that looks like he has a work ethic. And there's fruits to it. All right? There's Proverbs that talk about that. Hey, says to the young man, hey, man, go get a job. Make it fit for yourself in the field. Establish your financial base. Then go start a family. All right? Saved. Christian commitment. It shows in their life. Have a good work ethic. Another fourth bit of advice here, this is from your pastor. I think parents are going to agree in some way with all of these. Is um, that girl, watch how she deals with her family. That guy, watch how he deals with his family, his siblings, his mom, his dad, whether they had a Christian home or not. This is I'm giving you advice on how to select a, a future spouse here in like three minutes within the middle of the sermon, okay? We could, make, we could have made it a whole message. But you watch somebody, like, like I, I, got, I had the privilege to spend a lot of time with my wife's family. And that was good, helping me see the context of her whole family, kind of what influenced her. But it also helped me see how she reacts with her mom and dad and her siblings. And, oh, that's how she is. Okay. It was good. And the same thing for a girl, to watch how the guy is with his mom and dad, his attitude toward his mom, his attitude towards her dad. Saved or non-saved parent, doesn't matter. You're going to see tokens of their real character by how they, were, how they will behave towards the people that they're with most of the time. And then the fifth thing, if you're like, oh, I don't know if I should marry this person, but they are saved. They seem to have Christian, Christian commitment, got a good work ethic. Uh, they seem to be doing pretty good with their family relations. A fifth thing is then this, is get advice. I'm saying I'm giving you advice, and my fifth point of advice is to get advice from a parent of your own or a pastor if that parent's unavailable. We need advice on things. You need advice on Dealing, if you're a boss, dealing with subordinates. If you're subordinate, dealing with your boss. If you're a young person or a person that's single, like, I'm going to get married to this. I'm thinking about getting married. Those are some of my points of advice. And my fifth point is to actually get personal advice on that particular person. We all need it, don't we? We need it, especially when dealing with people. I was happy when, the couple, when our, particularly two of the kids that are married that now in our family, they came to us and they asked us and our future daughter-in-law, asked us some things, advice about them. And that was a blessing. So number one, about advice. Here's advice about getting advice. We need it, number one, especially when dealing with people. Number two, we should take time to get it. Take time to get it. It's not wasted time. Look what it, this is one thing the guy did okay on, I think. Look at verse five. He had to, he had to give an answer. He says in verse five, depart ye, depart yet three days, then come again. To me, the people departed. So, you know, not that he did everything else right, because he didn't, but you see the idea of, okay, hold on, wait a minute, you're asking me a major question. Come back in three days. And so he asked the old men, he asked the young men. The idea is he took time to get it. Now, did he choose the right side? No, but he took time. We need to take time. 
to get advice on dealing with difficult people or people that are sensitive to your decisions. Number three, there's another thing we'll learn from the text. Number three, here's another advice about getting advice, is be honest with your feedback. Be honest about the feedback you get. Um, let's go to back to the story. Here's Rehoboam. Here he is. He's going to be his king now. And the people say, hey, Rehoboam, can you make it a little lighter? Can you adjust your administration from your dad's a little bit? Hmm, come back to me in three days and I will, I'll check back with you. So they leave and, and he goes to the old man. Okay, these people said I should lighten up on them. What do you think? You think you ought to lighten up on them. Lighten up on them and, and they'll love you. Forget it. All right, guys, what do you think? Do you think he was very objective with that first point of advice? Watch this. He was advice shopping. Look, let's say I just I want to buy a 2000, 2021 Corvette. Those are good looking. You know, man, they look cool. I want to buy a 2021 Corvette. And I'm thinking, hmm, I'm going to ask somebody that uh, is probably going to tell me I should do it. Brother Steve will probably tell me, Steve, what do you think about it? <laughs> See, uh, I don't know. Derek's not going to tell me because he probably knows some issue with him that I should be. A, I'm going to avoid Derek, Brother Derek. Let's see. Mm, maybe Brother Kevin's got a Porsche. I think I'll ask him. Or, you know. Do you see what I'm doing? I have something that I want to do, and I've already decided how I'm going to get it justified in doing it. I'm going to select my counselors that are going to give me what I want to hear, and I'm going to avoid the one and already reject the one. <laughs> that might tell me something I don't want to hear. I'm advice shopping. That's not fair. If you're going to get advice, be fair and like, okay, I'm going to hear this. I'm going to hear this. You know, let's just say three, part, three points. And I'm going to be objective, okay? Here's what he didn't do. He heard the old men and he rejected it before he got to hear the other thing. He already is like, forget it. He should have said, I'm going to keep that on the table. Now, guys, what do you have to say? and then went like this. That's what he should have did. For us, we need to uh, be honest with feedback and fair in the sense of hear it out. Number four, now here's a number four, this fourth point of advice about getting advice is kind of the heart of what's happening here, okay? This is one of the major things of what's happening. Here it is. When it comes to getting advice, prioritize advice from those who are experienced. That's the heart of this passage here. He didn't prioritize advice from those who are experienced. Now watch. Here it is. He goes, verse um, 6, he consulted with, who is it? The old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, how do you advise this people? They told him. Then he consulted with the young men, verse 10, that were grown up with him. Now watch this. Now, what, what's your immediate thought here on this when you read this? Ah, old men are always right. Young men are always wrong. Always go to the old men. They're always right. The young men, nah, can't trust them. That's not the lesson. Did you know that? That's not the lesson here. 
Did you know in the Bible, I just told you earlier that Solomon said it's bad when you have a young, Solomon said it's better to have a young, wise child than an old, foolish king who will no more be admonished. It's possible to have an old person who's in power who's useless for advice and to give it back to him. And there's such a thing as young, wise, wise young people and unwise old people. There's such a thing. Did you know Elihu in Job chapter, what is it, Job 20, Job 32, verse 9, Elihu, the one who God never rebuked him at the end of the book of Job, he said, you know, I'm paraphrasing, the old are not always wise. Old men aren't always wise. They ought to be. And then so it's, it's sometimes old, older in age sometimes means um, it, can, it means they should have it, but they don't always have it. They can be foolish. And then you have guys on the other side. You have a Joseph. Boy, he was wise. Daniel, he was wise. His friends were. And a Josiah. So the issue is it can happen in any age. Wisdom can be found in any age. It ought to be more likely to be found in the gray head. But here's the thing. The issue that distinguished these older men that stood before Solomon and the other group that was the peers, the difference between them is not so much the age, it's the experience. What was the problem that this king, here's this king, Rehoboam, he's dealing with who? Basically the same people his dad did. And he's, he's dealing with a system his dad had set up. These guys don't, his friends don't know about this. These older guys, they knew about it. And so he says, guys, and so these older men, watch this. He's consulting with men of experience, and, and here's what they could do. These older men can say, yeah, we knew Solomon. What a guy. Nobody could have done what he did. I mean, when he said, whatever he said went. And he was incredibly wealthy. And God blessed him. And they look at Rehoboam, his son, they think about Solomon, their old boss, and they're thinking, he's never going to be able to act like his dad. He's not going to be able to keep going and, and keep the same template and leadership style of his dad. Nobody's going to be able to get away with that. This was a unique thing. So they said, you know, you do need to lighten up. You need to lighten up on these people and serve them and make it lighter. And they'll love you. Isn't it interesting? The, the older actually learns to adjust. And the younger don't. They want to make it tougher. That's a little different, isn't it? But that was the wisdom for that moment. It was what he needed. So what the difference is, these guys had the experience. to. They knew Solomon. They knew their country. They knew the system of how pe things were being operated. They know then, therefore, how to teach this guy to respond to this. These guys, all they knew, you know how much what these, his buddies knew? As much as he did. Boy, you know, blind, getting advice from the blind. So kids, listen, it's okay to ask your buddies about stuff, but if it's something serious, ask somebody who has some experience. You know, maybe one of your buddies is a little more experienced in the game than you. Okay, get advice from them, you know. But in like some of these crucial life decisions of, you know, relationships and stuff like that, get advice from somebody who has some experience. Teens, who do you go to for advice? Adults, who do we go to? The last point here is this, and it's not in the text, but the whole Bible teaches us this last point, and that is the Scripture is the most qualified counselor we could ever find. 
The Scripture is the most qualified counselor. Number four was prioritize advice from the experience. Number five is the Scripture is our most qualified counselor. Follow me, please, to Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verse 11. Psalm 33, verse 11. The counsel, the advice, the consultation of the Lord standeth forever, it says. The thoughts of His heart to all generations. You know, God's advice is not just, well, that was for old people. It's for all generations. The Bible is not for, the Bible is not old-fashioned. The counsel in the Bible is not old-fashioned. And it's not contemporary. It's timeless. It's timeless. It's for all generations. The Bible is our most qualified counselor. Uh, let's go to Psalm 119. We've been reading on that in Sunday mornings. Psalm 119. Let's look at a few verses there. <clears throat> and first look at verse 24. Psalm 119, verse 24. Psalm 119, verse 24, it says... Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Ah, it's got some counselors there. That's right. Now go to Psalm 119, verse 98, 99, and 100. I think it was a week or so ago we read this. Yep, last week. Psalm 119, verse 98, 99, and 100. You want to be smarter than your teachers. Here you go. Psalm 119, verse 98, through, Thou through Thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. I'm not saying your teachers are your enemies. Uh, for they are ever with me. Verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers. For Thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep Thy precepts. The Bible is the, the perfect book to be our counselor. Now, God does use, obviously, He uses people still. Even in the Proverbs, it says, you know, hear counsel, be wise, and forsake it not. So the Bible says it is a counseling book, but even the Bible tells you, hey, be open to other people's counsel and advice. Um, I, was at a, I was at a meeting with a bunch of pastors a few weeks ago, and it tended to be a group, you guys, a little more kind of, kind of the hip and trendy guys and stuff like that. But I, there were some friends I had there, and I'm just kind of learning a little bit of... I learned some things there. But they went around the room. It was kind of a um, time of sharing. They went around the room, and, and he said, hey, let, let's all talk about the, the book that helps us... Um, that's helped us in leadership right now. That we're, books we're reading on leadership and what we're learning and, and stuff. And so they went around the room, and um, I was kind of one of the last, and I thought, I was trying to think of the books that I've read on leadership lately, and there was a few. And they went around the room, and, and uh, it was good. You know, I got you know some ideas of some other books to read, and this one guy said, this book and that book and this book by this guy and this book by this guy and this book, and kind of went around. And I, quite honestly, I was just like, um... So I, uh, and I mentioned this one book by this pastor. It actually used to be um, um, uh, Bethany, Bethany Burton's, or her mom's old pastor in, I think it was Wisconsin, Henry, David Henry Sorensen. I read a book by this guy. I read it three times. It's called The Art of Pastoring. It's very helpful, very practical. 
lots of illustrations and examples. So that's been a good book for me, guys, to read. And then, but I said, quite honestly, and I'm not trying to be extra spiritual, but you know, the Bible has just really helped me be a leader. And I'm not saying I'm the greatest leader, but man, I really, God just knows where to... All of a sudden, I'm sitting here, I'm reading my Bible, all of a sudden, God's just saying, stay in Nehemiah, that's a leadership book for you. And I'm reading through Nehemiah, and I'm getting some insight. And I just said, that's been kind of the book I've been reading, and I just still believe that it's uh, perfect and profitable to make us truly furnished unto all good works. And, and then you guys say, amen, that's right. And I thought, I can't ever get over that. I don't want to ever get over that. It's my first counselor. First counselor. Susie was doing a, she's doing this thing in college right now. She was doing a paper. She's like, Dad, I had to write this paper on, about information overload. And, uh, you know, and she goes, <laughs> what's ironic is she says, I think it was supposed to be a one-page paper, and she said she gave him a three-page paper. <laughs> and then I said, well, is that a problem? She goes, no. He said, if I went over 10,000 words, it would have been. I said, okay, that's funny. <laughs> but I thought about the concept of information overload. You know what that means? It's like, just stop telling me stuff. I just, too much, too much, too much. Too many options. I want to buy this product, and there's 10,000 voices telling me, you know, 100 different things, you know. Uh, so, all right, the, the answer to the idea of information overload is not to not listen to anybody. It's not to be like, I don't want to hear anybody anymore about anything. That's not the answer. The answer to information overload for us as Christians in daily consumption of information is prioritize. I'm not going to be able to hear every opinion about that product I'm thinking about buying. I'm not, I don't have enough time in my life to read every book on marriage. So the first priority for me is I'm going to read the Bible first. That's prioritized it, and that'll help me deal with information overload. I got the first bit of information first. That's God's mind, God's counsel. God's counsel about dealing with friends. God's counsel about dealing with girls, boys. God's counsel about dealing with family and, and, and other things. God's counsel about dealing with my spouse and money first. And I prioritize it. God's counsel should be prioritized over everything. So here it is. Um, let's remember we need God's advice. We need advice for dealing with people. We need to take time to get it. We need to be honest with feedback. We need to prioritize. If you're going to ask advice about some, something, think how experienced is this person. And go with that. Don't just rely merely on peers and prioritize the Bible. And last of all, we think about this passage. It talks about a yoke, a heavy yoke. It reminds me of the fact that we have a heavy yoke on us were it not for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a yoke on us, the yoke of our sin. When we've been foolish and we've been sinful and we've rejected advice, and we, if we haven't accepted Christ as Savior, that yoke is still on us. But Jesus removes that yoke when we trust Him as our Savior. And that burden of sin guilt is lifted. And we have the greatest freedom there with Him on that. And then He says, my yoke of serving, that's easy. That's light. So Jesus is our great example we want to conclude with. Thank you, Lord, for letting us consider this. Please let me be wise